Safer Chemicals Podcast. Sound science on harmful chemicals. Welcome to the Safer Chemicals Podcast. My name is Päivi Jokiniemi. Today we'll talk about this year's last Biocidal Products Committee meeting. And our main topic will be the committee's opinion on the comparative assessment of anticoagulant rodenticides. If you listened to our September episode, you already got some background to this. But if you missed it, don't worry, we'll give you a full update. We'll also discuss the most interesting opinions on active substances and hear how the committee is planning to harmonize and streamline its processes to get ready for the future workload. And as usual, I am joined by Erik van der Plasche, the chair of the committee. Welcome, Erik, and thanks for being here. Good to see you, Pavi. As promised, so let's start with the comparative assessment of anticoagulant rodenticides. So you already had quite a comprehensive debate on this in your September meeting, where the different alternatives were discussed. And now it was time to agree on your recommendation. Um, so I have two questions for you. Did you reach a conclusion and how was the debate that led to your opinion? Yes, uh, indeed, uh, Pavi, that was this one was the main topic, I would say, the most interesting uh, opinion which we discussed this meeting, which was, by the way, our first uh, in-person meeting after a long time. So it was very good that uh, members were there in person in Helsinki uh, to uh, to discuss this topic. First of all, we, we agreed on the opinion. So we adopted the opinion by uh, uh, not by consensus. There was one minority opinion expressed by the German authorities. But good to see that we adopted this opinion and that can then form the basis indeed for the renewal of the uh, AVK rodenticides, which is going to take place uh, soon. This opinion was a bit special in a sense that we had a heavy involvement of uh, of stakeholders. Normally, we have stakeholders who are involved involved in the production, the manufacturing, the formulation of uh, active substances or biocidal products. But this time, we also had stakeholders who are involved in pest control, and they represent, uh, let's say, something like uh, well, thousands of companies who are involved in pest control. Uh, we had uh, Biocides for Europe, CEFIC, who is uh, representing uh, the manufacturers of active substances, but also the, the formulators. But they also have some of their clients they mentioned who are uh, also involved in the using uh, rodent traps. And then we had uh, two uh, producers of uh, rodent traps, mechanical traps, And they also informed the meeting about uh, their background and also informed us that they are going to form an association. So they might be in the future an ECA, an ECA stakeholder. Um, yeah, maybe to, to start off is uh, the discussion we had on chemical alternatives because the comparative assessment is related to looking at chemical alternatives and looking at uh, non-chemical alternatives for these AVK rodenticides. For chemical alternatives, we didn't have that much discussion after the last meeting. There are some chemical alternatives which uh, have been identified, and these are alpha-chloralose, uh, cholecalciferol, and carbon dioxide. 
and they can be uh, alternatives for uh, indoor control of uh, mice or for what is called permanent baiting. I'll come back on that later. Not uh, all of them, let's say, but uh, for example, carbon dioxide can only be an alternative for permanent baiting. There was some discussion, I must say, about uh, are these really better in terms of their profile? Because what you never want when you go to a comparative assessment is that you have something like regrettable substitution. So you substitute it by an alternative, which is in hindsight not really better. And for cholecalciferol and alpha-chloralose, we are not fully sure whether these are really better, better uh, alternatives. And that has to do, for example, for alpha-chloralose with the fact that recently there have been cases of pet poisoning identified. It may be a PBT, but we have to assess that during the renewal process. And cholecalciferol is, for example, an endocrine disruptor while the AVKO-identicides have not been assessed with respect to that property. But overall, the conclusion on chemical alternatives, I think, was, was clear and uh, straightforward. Then we move to uh, the discussion on the non-chemical alternatives, the rodent traps, and that was the main debate of, uh, of the meeting. In fact, there were two main issues. The one was uh, what is called permanent baiting, I already referred to that. And that is a use which we added to the opinion based on the discussion in the September meeting. So you have curative methods which you use when you have an infestation, but permanent baiting is a preventive uh, method. And there are many situations where uh, permanent baiting can be used, for example, in the food industry, in uh, in shops, for example, in sewer systems. Um, but it's a controversial uh, use, for sure, with uh, AVK rodenticides, as uh, it is thought to be leading to uh, resistance problems, but also to uh, primary and secondary poisoning. And for that reason, permanent baiting with AVK rodenticide is banned in some member states, and not, but not in all. And also member states have sometimes uh, approved chemical alternatives. So cholecalciferol and alpha-chlorolose, for example, are used for uh, permanent baiting in some member states. But as I said, it is a controversial, uh, controversial application. But as I said, we added it to the, uh, to the comparative assessment. And as a consequence of that, we had to look into whether uh, the use of rodent traps is effective for permanent baiting. And the issue there was that we, uh, we have limited information on the effectiveness of using traps for this, uh, for this use. And to make it even more complicated, it's very difficult to assess uh, the effectiveness also of chemicals for permanent baiting. Because as you maybe can understand, if you have an infestation, you can use your rodenticides and then you can, let's say, measure whether there are less rats in the end and whether the infestation is disappearing. But permanent baiting is very difficult to assess because, in principle, your rodent should not be there. So what uh, has been done, and that was a test which we received very late, uh, just before the meeting, uh, by a company who is involved in uh, the production of rodent traps, they compared in the food industry the use of AVK rodenticides and, and traps 
over for certain sites. In total, there were 16. And they just uh, observed where the debate was consumed for the AVK rodenticides uh, and looked over the year whether uh, in these traps mice were uh, caught. The, the meeting concluded, well, there is evidence that uh, it might be efficacious. Uh, there are even doubts whether it's efficacious, even for AVK rodenticides. It was a limited test. There was, let's say, it was not published in a peer reviewed journal. Uh, this was a study summary together with some, let's say, some results, the, the raw data, as we call it. So not easy to assess by the members. And also combined with the whole controversy about uh, permanent baiting, what we concluded in the end is that our conclusion is in fact inconclusive, that we don't know at the moment whether uh, uh, whether rodent traps are effective and efficacious for permanent baiting, that for sure there is a need to discuss this at a more regulatory level because of the concerns also with permanent baiting in general, and that there are also on ongoing, let's say, uh, activities going on. So, for example, the coordination group is looking into resistance uh, problems with permanent baiting. And the efficacy working group has discussed recently also the how to look at effectiveness for, for rodenticides for this, uh, for this use. And they also could not come to a conclusion. So that was for us a reason. Let's not conclude. Uh, we describe the whole issue, we describe the pros and cons, and then we will finalize the opinion in that sense. And that was a reason for uh, Germany, to be clear, to file a minority opinion, because they consider that rodent traps are effective. At this moment of time, we can already take that conclusion. And that would, of course, have its consequence for the uh, product renewal. The next one, then, the most important debate we had was about the use of rodent traps for indoor control of mice. There was one test available, a test carried out inside a farm, which proved uh, that the, uh, the rodent trap which was used in that situation was effective. And we have agreed EU guidance on how to test the effectiveness of, uh, of rodent traps, which is called the Nocero guidance. So the test was carried out according to those guidelines. But the issue was, uh, is this sufficient to conclude that rodent traps are effective for indoor control of mice? And then there are several questions. So, for example, we only had one type of trap which was tested, and there are more traps on the on the market in the in the EU, in fact, worldwide. And there has been a big, let's say, improvement in the development of rodent traps. Everybody uh, is is aware of that, and that was, of course, also, let's say, highlighted by these producers of rodent traps. But in fact, only one trap was uh, was tested in this uh, in this specific test. So, do we need to test more traps? Uh, the other question was: Do we need to test more situations? The test was about uh, a farm. Uh, do we need to test also, for example, in residential areas? So, indeed, uh, do we consider this uh, this one test sufficient? And the last one, uh, which was uh, debated, is we can have different types of infestations. So you can have, a, let's say, a light infestation up to a heavy infestation. And there were concerns expressed by uh, in this stakeholder consultation which we had that for heavy infestations, 
uh, rodent traps might uh, have its disadvantages. Maybe they're effective, but maybe there are uh, practical and economic uh, disadvantages. And that's a, that's a general issue we had, in fact, in this opinion. We had several times, we had statements from stakeholders where they had, let's say, conflicting statements about uh, the use of uh, mechanical traps or rodent traps. And it was very difficult to bring those together because we, we have limited information. Uh, that's, uh, for me, one of the most important uh, aspects that we need more information to come to conclusions in the future. We also looked at what do we do for, for AVK rodenticides. And in the end, it was decided by the committee that this one test we had is sufficient to conclude that for indoor control, you can use uh, these traps. Um, there were concerns expressed by, by stakeholders, but in the end, the, the, the committee decided that uh, yeah, rodent traps are a suitable uh, alternatives for indoor control of mice. Good. What happens now next? The Commission has to prepare now a decision based on this, uh, on this opinion. Maybe first to say it's, it's a part of the mandate which we received. So one element is the comparative assessment. The other one is the comparison within the group of AVK rodenticides, whether one is better than the other. That part we will uh, take uh, later in the June meeting of next year. But based on this comparative assessment, which we now finalized, uh, the Commission has to prepare a decision. And that will, in fact, be a kind of, let's say, summary, of course, of the opinion. So laying down again the conclusions of the, uh, of the opinion. And then uh, some recommendations, I guess, for, for member states on how to move forward with, uh, with the product renewals. The other thing which is important is how to deal with the upcoming new information. So as said, there will be new information. Uh, the producers of rodent traps are doing more tests for uh, other type of traps, uh, for other situations. That's also not only the, the rodent trap producers, but also the, the, let's call it the chemical industry. Uh, so they will also look at uh, outdoor uses. They will more look at rats. The information we had now clearly showed that rodent traps cannot be used for rat control, but more tests will be done in that respect. So we have to decide how to, let's say, take that information into consideration. Will we have a kind of submission? Uh, will it be to ECA? Will it be to the Commission? Uh, how will we amalgamate this? Will we have, again, a kind of a opinion, conclusion, whatever? So that's something we will need to discuss. And maybe the last one interesting to mention is that we also had some debate on rodent traps and whether there is a need for a kind of an authorization scheme. Um, and this has been debated already for, let's say, years uh, when this topic is coming more and more to the forefront. There is a kind of authorization scheme in uh, in Germany, if I'm correct, and the request from uh, well some of the members was, uh, will this be taken further? But in that sense, the Commission made clear that they have no intention to uh, to take this up. Related mainly to uh, let's say there's enough on their plate in terms of uh, well, 
we all know the review program authorizations etc so this is a topic they will not pick up when they uh, receive the uh, the opinion on this comparative assessment for rodenticides Good. So some discussion continues still in the June meeting, but otherwise we can say that the comparative assessment is now done and then we close this book and open it again in, was it five years? Yes, indeed. When the AVK rodenticides will be renewed, of course, first we'll have the renewal of the uh, active substances, which will uh, need to be done. But uh, assuming they again will all meet the exclusion criteria, and I'm sure they do, we will have another comparative assessment of rodenticides uh, in something like five years. Okay, thanks so much for that. Um, I think we can now move on to the next topic, um, and that would be the guidance on analysis of alternatives. There hasn't been one specific for uh, for biocides earlier, so ECA was tasked to draft one, and now you are about to finalize it. So to recap, what's the purpose of this guidance and um, what can you tell about the timing? When will it be published? Yeah, the, the purpose of the guidance is to provide uh, guidance for applicants and for the evaluating competent authorities, so for member states, on how to perform the analysis of alternatives. And as you said, indeed, there was no guidance before. Uh, under REACH, there, there is guidance, and that's what we took, let's say, as a basis for the guidance uh, for biocides. But there was nothing before, and there was a clear request from from uh, yeah from all parties to have something in place also for biocides. And that has been picked up by ECA, uh, because it also has, well, already for years been a clear signal that we need to improve on the analysis of alternatives which is performed for uh, active substances who are a candidate for uh, for substitution. And it's even more relevant for uh, active substances who are considered to be meeting the uh, exclusion criteria. So the idea was to have guidance on where you need to look at when you perform an analysis of alternatives. So that's, for example, at the uh, does an alternative reduce the risks? Uh, what's its feasibility in terms of uh, technicality, but also in terms of economics. Uh, so these criteria, let's say, have been addressed in uh, in the guidance, not laid down, but there is a description on what kind of criteria you need to look at. And that's not really something new, but uh, it was good to have it. And then it also lays down uh, formats, uh, what kind of, how would you gather information when you perform the analysis, and also, what is the role of the applicant and the role of the member state uh, competent authority in this in this whole process? So we had a revised version for this uh, meeting, and in the end, that was uh, agreed by uh, by the members. Uh, we will now finalize it. We will uh, publish it maybe uh, before the end of this year, for sure, in the beginning of uh, beginning of next year. But the main debate in the in the meeting was about its, uh, let's say, its applicability and when are we going to apply it and something which I would call expectation uh, management because there was, well, there were concerns from some of the member states but also from uh, from the industry who was present that, as we all know, not all active substances have been approved. 
uh, there's a lot of uh, activities which uh, has to be performed by member states and by industry. For example, for certain product types, we have not evaluated uh, 50% of them. So how can we know what kind of alternatives there are on the market when we have not even uh, assessed uh, the majority of them? That's just one of the elements to be clear where, yes, we can have a certain, let's say, ambition, but the reality might, uh, might be different. So that's something which we recognized as, uh, as an agency and we, where we also, let's say, have laid down in the guidance what we call a flexible approach. So we have, for, to our understanding, responded to those requests. But still there remain concerns from, uh, from, uh, yeah, from member states and, and stakeholders. So that's why we will uh, prepare a note for the next uh, competent authority meeting where we will discuss the uh, or we'll have some proposals on the implementation of the of the guidance meaning when will we start applying it and also being more clear on for what kind of situations uh, do we really need it for example for and i think that everybody agrees to when a substance is meeting the exclusion criteria we have to do it there's no doubt about it uh, but for other situations we might be more uh, more flexible so that's going to be another debate on uh, on it, and maybe that's good that we await uh, the outcome of that debate before we finalize uh, the guidance. Now I speak of it, so maybe uh, January is a more realistic timeline for publishing uh, this guidance. And that will then be available on our website? Yes, that will be for sure published on the ECHA website. Very good. Um, so what would you like to highlight from the active substance approvals this time? Yeah, not that much compared to last time. Uh, we had two uh, substances. One of them was uh, what is called, uh, well, it used to be called BARDAP26, but that substance has been renamed and now it's called DMPOP for the uh, experts in the room. But this redefinition is important because uh, you will soon then have two names. So we need to harmonize that. Of course, now we have renamed this uh, substance. But that was uh, approved for product type 2 and 4. That's a quaternary ammonium compound. We have already many in uh, in our program. And this was, let's say, just another one which is very similar to uh, similar substances we have already seen. So approved without, uh, without too much uh, discussion and debate. And product type 2 and 4 were? Uh, that's disinfectants. Disinfectants. Disinfectants, yes. Um, and then we had uh, chrysanthemum extracts. Uh, we have two different ones uh, with different uh, extraction methods uh, where the uh, evaluating CA was, uh, was Spain. And they came back to our meeting. We discussed them some meetings ago where we had an outstanding issue on the risk assessment for sediment. Uh, we allowed the applicant to provide uh, more data because otherwise we were let's say, afraid that these substances would not be approved. And looking at their profile, the meeting was convinced that we should approve these uh, these substances. So exceptionally, the, the applicant was given the possibility to submit these data. And that uh, had now been done, and Spain had looked at those data, they performed the risk assessment, and they also proposed an approval which was accepted by the meeting, although there was discussion around what is called large-scale application of these uh, insecticides, it's PT18. And that's an outdoor use, 
uh, and large scale. You can think about uh, woodlands. You can think about rice uh, rice lands in uh, in the southern part of uh, of Europe. And there are indeed insecticides which are used for these type of uh, applications. And there was recently there was a, a guidance developed by our environment uh, working group looking at these type of uh, applications. And the issue was a bit that looking at the profile of these substances, remember these are insecticides, so for sure they have effects on uh, uh, on target organisms, but may also, and I guess in most cases they have, also effect on what is called non-target organisms. And the issue was whether we would go that far that we would already not approve these type of uh, applications based on this, uh, yeah, the fact that these are insecticides and the fact that we're dealing with large scale in contrast to, for example, indoor use. And there in the anti-meeting decided, well, uh, we should not do this. It's also a discussion which is related to the ongoing uh, development of guidance uh, on pollinators. Uh, where we are working with EFSA on a guidance for uh, the bicycle use. And that means that in the near future we will have a scenario to assess quantitatively and qualitatively uh, the risk for pollinators. And we also will have uh, a guidance on whether we can introduce risk management measures for these type of applications. And yeah, as for this type of application, we did not have the method. Uh, we did not have sufficient, let's say, information. We did not look into uh, the possibility of having, uh, of introducing risk mitigation measures. We decided let's not preempt that, uh, let's say, that discussion and that scenario which will become available. Let's approve these substances, but for sure when product authorization will come, and there will be an application for this large scale, then that's something which will need to have, uh, which will need to be followed. All right. Um, then at the end of the meeting, you discussed how to streamline and harmonize the application processes and how companies can submit further information on their cases. Uh, was there an agreement on this? And is there a specific reason why the committee feels that? There needs to be some specification on this. Yeah, first of all, we agreed on all the documents we uh, we put forward, and uh, they all came from uh, from the agency, from MECA, from the Secretariat, and they were prepared because we saw a need to streamline and harmonize the practice. So we saw different practices within member states. Uh, we saw some differences between active substance approval and union authorization. And without a clear reason for, for having these different practices. So the idea behind it was to harmonize, to streamline, um, and also lay down, uh, let's say we moved, for example, from, uh, well, we moved to another IT system, let, let's call it that. So also these things needed to be uh, laid down in our working procedures. So uh, we had several documents. The working procedure on active substances, the working procedure on union authorization, which was agreed upon. Uh, we have a guidance now on how to deal with new information uh, within the union authorization and active substance process. That was a document which was already there, adopted years ago by the committee. 
and that has now been uh, updated, so there is a revised, uh, revised version of that. And it combines active substance and union authorization. So we have one document for both processes. And then we had a last document, which was about uh, union authorization and then how to handle uh, information provided by an applicant from the submission until the uh, adoption of the of the committee opinion. So then you talk about the validation process, the evaluation process by the ECA, and then uh, last the uh, the opinion forming or peer review process. Still, I would say there are concerns expressed by uh, by stakeholders, uh, by CEFIC, for example, but also by other stakeholders. They have concerns that these uh, documents are, I would say, a bit too strict, so uh, that their right to be heard is to a certain extent compromised by these more strict uh, processes and procedures. But uh, yeah, from our side, we would say the main intention is to harmonize and to streamline. So we would not, uh, let's say, agree with these kind of uh, statements which were made in the committee. And then last to say about this, the commission made an intervention that it would be good also now to look at national authorization. So we have this practice now for union. It would also be good to see whether we can apply the same principles. And by nature, of course, we do. Uh, what we do for unions, we should also do for national. So also look at uh, these kind of uh, principles and guidelines for national authorization. So that's something we have to pick up as an agency. Uh, this was the last meeting of this year. Um, there was one important announcement made in this meeting, and it's about some changes taking place next year. Could you please tell a little bit more about this? Yes, I can tell for sure. So uh, I announced at the meeting that that was uh, that I will leave the agency. So as you may know, I moved to the Netherlands with my uh, my family, and uh, living and working in two countries is something which is in the end not uh, not sustainable from all perspectives. So that's uh, why I decided and uh, to leave uh, the agency. And that will mean that uh, the next meeting will not be my last one uh, in March, but the one in June, that will be the last meeting for me. Uh, and after that, uh, one month later, I will uh, definitely move back to uh, to the Netherlands. And what happens now? Um, I guess we will need to find a new chair for the committee. Yeah, we need a new chair, but uh, I can say that the vacancy notice is already published on the website of the agency. So everyone should uh, then keep their eyes open and go and have a look at it if if you're interested. Thank you again, Eric, for joining us. And as you said, despite the announcement, we will have Eric back with us at least for a couple of more episodes next year. Until then, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast at eka.europa.eu forward slash podcasts. And we are also collecting feedback to be able to better meet your needs in the future. So please fill in our short feedback form that you can find in the episode description. Thanks for listening. Safer Chemicals Podcast. Sound science on harmful chemicals.